Uh, people often forget about Rick Rude being in the group because he would go to WCW and he didn't last very long. Uh, he also didn't really talk. I'll tell you what, he does uh, not but, have very good manners, though. <laughs> you know, well, he's not he, hes not Rick Polite. He actually <laughs> did turn face for a while and became Rick Polite. Wait, damn it. Are you kidding I, me? I made that up. I made that up, but it's honestly a great idea. I need to go call Vince McMahon right now. <laughs> it's me, Austin. They spell disaster for you and sacrifice. Son of a bitch. I did it for the love. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton. Dwayne The Rock Johnson Green. And his tag team partner making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zachary the Raw Law Dog Barlow. Aroo! This is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I could talk about for an hour. And if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry, because as you'll soon find out, I don't either. So, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? So, for the very first episode of Turnbuckle Training, we're going to be talking about Bad D Blood 1997. I pronounce it that way because it's spelled with two Ds, double Ds, which, honestly, I'm a bit ashamed that, that and surprised, I should say, that they don't ever... You make some kind of double D joke. Yeah, a surprisingly unhorny um, pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, th- most most wrestling shows in the 90s were very sexual. This one, uh, no, this one, not so much. Um, if you're a wrestling fan, and probably even if you're not, you're at least familiar with the concept of the Attitude Era, which is kind of one of the, honestly, not even kind of, definitely the uh, the biggest era or time period in wrestling history it's when you it's when it was at its most popular you don't get you know this these impressive you know athletic wrestling contests but you do get these you know storylines and trash tv that are really fun to watch um and this show people can make a lot of arguments about what is the beginning of the attitude era this one, for me, I feel like is when we really get to see it. Uh, a lot of people might say it's the pay-per-view the next month, Survivor Series 97, which is another huge show in wrestling history, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Uh, but to me, it's this show uh, because you get uh, Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, who were kind of started a lot of the Attitude Era with... Shawn Michaels with D-Generation X. You got a little bit of the last holdouts that we don't really see so much anymore in the later part of the Attitude Era, like Bret Hart. Uh, And then you got two guys like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin in this show who are not really at their peak or at their prime. They're they're, they're really up-and-comers. They're pretty low in the card, and and Austin doesn't even actually wrestle in this show. Right, and that's Uh, especially true for for The Rock in this show, right? That he is, um, at this point, almost an unknown. Yeah, well, I mean, he's not even called The Rock yet. This was before he became The Rock. He was known as Rocky Maivia. He's, he's slowly starting to to progress into his uh, 
into his The Rock persona. Um, but but he's not actually called that. So this is a really fun show to watch, I think, for uh, newer fans because you get to see people like you that you may remember just from, you know, yeah, they were a big part of the culture, but you don't really see them like this in their in their early days. So uh, I, I, that's why I kind of wanted to pick this show to start off with. And plus, everybody loves the Attitude Era. It's something that you can enjoy without you can kind of come into pretty pretty blind. Yeah. So actually, can we can we talk about our backgrounds just a little bit uh, with wrestling here? Because I think that. Um, you really, I, I am not a big wrestling connoisseur. I really haven't seen that much of it. I am learning as the show uh, is going to progress. But you really hooked me um, back when we were roommates with the Mick Foley Hell in a Cell, um, which I think is just, it's my favorite. Um, so the Attitude Era is, is, I think, great for big spectacles like that. And it's certainly my favorite, my favorite thing that I've seen. And that's a good point that you bring up, that Mick Foley Hell in a Cell is like something that people who aren't even wrestling fans have, have seen. Uh, it's Mick Foley getting tossed off the top of the Hell in a Cell by The Undertaker through the announce table. Uh, and that was that's often thought of as one of like the biggest moments in wrestling history. But this show is a lot of where that came from, because this is the first ever Hell in the Cell that's on this show. And, and a lot of the reason why Mick Foley wanted to go out and be so crazy is because he thought that this first Hell in a Cell was so good, he was like, how in the world am I going to top it? And he he actually admits, he says, he says, I didn't top it. The first one's way better. But um, And that's something that's up for a lot of debate. But this one, it definitely was a big moment and influenced a lot of things like that. Uh, for me, you know, I, I watched wrestling growing up as a kid. Uh, I had a cousin that really liked it. He got me into it. Um, actually, I didn't really watch in the Attitude Era because I was pretty young. I was three years old when the show came out. Uh, but I saw a lot of the influences with the stuff that I did watch, and I've gone back and watched it. So the Attitude Era and and kind of the, the aftermath of it with the Ruthless Aggression Era is really my expertise where I know a lot of stuff. Um, and so... I took on Zach as my my Padawan of sorts in in learning about in wrestling and showing it to him, and so now we're we're going to share that with you guys. And uh, this is where we decided to kick things off. I, I want to make a quick mention about the the commentary team here because it's a little bit important. Um, yeah, I noticed that M- Mr. McMahon is on commentary. So Vince McMahon, owner of the company, uh, Vince McMahon go- like is goes beyond just being the chairman of the World Wrestling Federation. He's a character. But at this point, he wasn't. He was not an on-screen character until... um, He started to kind of show up as an on-screen character, but it wasn't really until his rivalry with Stone Cold Steve Austin the following year. So he's a a few months out from really becoming the Mr. McMahon character. So originally, Vince was a commentator. He, uh, He was on commentary for years, uh, starting back in the 80s. Um, and he wasn't known as the owner of the company. Like, he was not, like, he wasn't Vince McMahon, commentator, and also chairman of the World Wrestling Federation. So, at this point, people kind of did know, just because the internet started to exist, and there were occasional times where he would go out and, you know, in, like, the news media and, and talk about wrestling. But for the most part, he was not acknowledged on screen as the owner of the company yet. Um, and 
although he does start kind of taking that on even in this show because uh, unfortunately this show is kind of overshadowed by a not so great thing it's uh, overshadowed by some tragedy because uh, Brian Pillman a uh, a wrestler with the company who was actually scheduled to wrestle in this show had died earlier that afternoon um, in what would later be discovered to be a, a heart attack uh, tied to a tied to his drug use. Um, it was a very, I mean, there's no good way you can really do that. Um, yeah, it sort of sets I mean, a a weird mood a little bit. Right I will off the say, bat. as far as like times that wrestlers have died. Um, They've done a lot worse. <laughs> That's true. There, there have been much worse. But with Vince here, uh, th- this is, I mean, they, they are acknowledging at a certain point, because they're talking about the hell in a cell, and they're like, you're letting this happen. So is this sort of the start of when we get to start seeing him as his, as his character? Yeah, well, this is his last show on commentary, actually. He, uh, th- this is the last time Vince McMahon does come. I don't even think he was doing it very regularly before this. Um... But yeah, no, they are starting to because he he's going a little bit more into because they've acknowledged it a few times, especially with his rivalry with Bret Hart, and pretty soon with Stone Cold. And I I think I think that rivalry has already started because I think they even show later in this pay per view like a, a a replay from like Austin stunning him. So he he's sort of starting to be revealed as the owner, but he's still in commentary mode. Um, I honestly don't really care for Vince McMahon on commentary. Uh, I, I never really have. He's sort of just straightforward about things. He doesn't add yeah. a whole lot of flavor as much as he just tells you exactly what you're seeing. And honestly, I don't like three... And they do this now, and it's one of my least favorite things, is they have three-man commentary teams, which I don't like. I think three is too many. It's uh, you Basically, you have them talking all over each other, or you have one guy who like never talks. <laughs> and... I prefer the two-man, especially when we have JR and, and, and Jerry the King Waller, best commentary team ever. Yeah, I love these uh, guys. But we, we, have, we have Vince in there, and I feel like it kind of messes with it a little bit. Um, so they kind of awkwardly segue from Brian Pillman dying into the actual wrestling. Uh, so we then go into our first contest, a... What was supposed to be a six-man tag turned into a handicap match. Uh, the nation of domination of The Rock, known here as Rocky Maivia, D'Lo Brown, and Kama Mustafa versus the Legion of Doom. They were supposed to team with Ken Shamrock, but they explained that Shamrock was injured before, so now it's just going to be Hawk and Animal by themselves. And uh, I, I believe that uh, that you want to uh, you have some stuff you want to yeah, talk about. Yeah, so I have I have a couple of things I want to talk about with both of these teams. Some some problematic shit. Uh, one, I kind of want us to to get into and to talk about the role of what seems to be a running theme at this point, at least in the WWE or as it was known here, the WWF, and that is um, wrestling teams that are sort of divided on racial lines, um, which I think is probably not okay, uh, really. And then, secondly. Uh, my problem with Legion of Doom, and that is that Hawk, uh, an animal. Why can't Animal pick an animal? Hawk picked an animal. He picked a hawk. Animal, you have to, you have to choose. You can't have all. He's the just a generic animal. Yeah, you need to pick one. Um, but I guess to the, to the more serious point, uh, I, 
the WWE, how long have they been doing this? How long do they keep doing it? Do they do it now still? Um, where, where you have a team that is sort of divided on racial lines, and especially in a way with Nation of Domination, where it seems like they're trying to sort of play at almost a, a Black Panther angle with the berets and the outfits and everything. Um, I feel like you're right on point other than when you said that they are trying because they are doing. This is absolutely a parody of the Black Panthers. Um, They're doing the Black Power salute. They're dressing like them. Basically, okay, so here's the problem with this this team. It's not the team itself. It's the fact that they're heels, which uh, we'll probably say a lot. Uh, Heels are the bad guys in wrestling. Faces or baby faces are considered the good guys. So they're portrayed as bad guys because they're black people who want to be treated as equals. Um, and, yeah. you know, that's that's kind of the problem there. And that's really something WWE has done for a long time. That I don't, they really don't do it so much now, but they did it up until when I was still watching where a character has very real valid arguments for why they're not treated properly or equally. But they're portrayed as a bad guy. They did this probably the most egregious example would be Muhammad Hassan, who was a Arab American character in 2004, who his complaint was ever since 9-11, I have been treated differently because of the color of my skin, because of my my name is Muhammad, which are very real complaints that real people have. But then he was portrayed as a bad guy and started, you know, you know, Right, speaking in Farsi, and you know, had some masked men come out and like carry off his opponents. And I think, uh, you know, further to that point is that making them heels is sort of um, using them. I feel like a lot of the time, uh, minority wrestlers, which we'll see twice in this, first in this, and then later, are not necessarily um, used as characters with their own storylines to a certain extent, but a lot of the time to prop up the stories of white wrestlers. Um, and I think that, that that definitely happens later in the show. Um, I, I, I think it, that it probably happens... happens sure too. I, I think it happens a lot more later in the show. Not so much here, because I feel like this one is really... Th- this match is, is about the Nation of Domination. Not so... Like, the Legion of Doom are just, you know, there to, to put over the Nation. Because uh, the Legion of Doom... I'll talk about for a minute. They are a historic tag team. Uh, you know, they have been wrestling for years in lots of different companies. Uh, they're uh, I I don't know if the Dudleys have surpassed them yet, but at, at at some point in time, and they may still be now, they're the most decorated tag team in wrestling history as far as the most tag team championships. Uh, which I thought was really interesting to see The Rock wrestle them because I would have never thought that. I would have never thought that The Rock wrestled the Legion of Doom. Uh, because to me, I, I associate them with two completely different time periods. Uh, but they do. And I also want to talk about The Rock for a minute. Um, the Rock, known here as Rocky Maivia, he, the reason he started becoming a heel, he originally debuted as a face, but people, the audience didn't like him. Uh, you know, they chanted Rocky sucks or die, Rocky die, which you actually hear in this match. And yeah, so which the, is weird. It is surreal almost to me. Because they hated from- him. The Rock being so popular. Because he was this over-the-top babyface. He was, like, always smiling and had this goofy look, this goofy haircut, this really weird, like, blue hula skirt thing that he used to wear. Um, 
and people just didn't like it. They didn't like him being a face because they thought he was so cheesy and so goody two-shoes that they hated him. And so that kind of made him turn into a heel, and then this is where he starts turning from Rocky Maivia to The Rock. So we start with D'Lo and Hawk, and Hawk, despite being you know a big guy, he's actually pretty talented and pretty athletic. And the fans here are like super hyped for the Legion of Doom. Yeah, which I don't really get because, I mean, Legion of Doom, I don't really know anything about them because they are um, in an era that we have not really explored yet, I guess. Uh, they seem kind of fucking a, lame. I mean, they're sort of, they're doing a Mad Max thing, right? Because, like... Oh, that's absolutely what they're doing. Yeah, um, it was it was lifted directly from that. And, and I do want to talk about that some. Uh, how often, and I don't mean to distract from the match with this, but... Um, the WWE is really bad about being like, this thing is popular. Let us directly rip a concept from it and make a wrestler about this thing. Are you sure you you are not a wrestling fan? Because you are nailing it. Um, <laughs> they do that constantly. Uh, one of my favorite, I don't know if favorite is the right word, maybe least favorite examples of that is when they were like, Pirates of the Caribbean is popular. Let's make a wrestler who thinks he's a pirate. <laughs> so, yeah, no, they're 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 really terrible about that. But you know what? You're right about the Legion of Doom, but they are le- a legendary tag team, very well respected. So I'm gonna have to come to their defense because uh, because well, I they're... still think Animal needs to make up his goddamn mind. Yeah, Hawk and like Pigeon or something. <laughs> well, they can't both be birds. Yeah, you could be like elephant. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, eventually, um, Animal uh, hits a big power slam on Kama, but Rock nails a DDT, and uh, the ref gets distracted. They love doing the whole ref gets distracted, and then someone runs in, and and the tide turns, and they get the. You know, the other team gets the advantage. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and this might be controversial. I don't really know. But um, I'm going to say that a tag team match, it should st- they should stop at two people on each side. Because I start getting confused when you have, like, six people total. Um, well, here I, we have five people. Yeah, I was going to say, later we have we have, like, Eight people. We get like an eight. We get an eight man tag. There have been ten man tag. There have been like ten on or five on five before. So yeah, no, I agree. It does get confusing. This one, well, and it gets confusing, especially when like both teams have like a costume that they wear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like everyone's uniform so is sort of the same, and then it's hard to, for me to tell. This one's a little bit easier because The Rock stands out, but everyone else is wearing the same clothes. So, yeah, no, I see how that can be confusing. The later match is even worse. Oh, yeah, um, it's terrible. I I couldn't even follow it. Um, uh, eventually, we get, uh, we get a hot tag in. Uh, the ref misses it. Uh, D'Lo gets a splash on Animal and Kama in the corner, but gets a two count. Uh... Animals getting slammed into the steps. You know, we're kind of it, it kind of gets a little chaotic, which is you know how tag team matches, especially in the '90s, go. Okay, obviously we all know uh, if you're listening to this podcast. I hope you know this that wrestling is scripted. It's telling a story, right? It's not um, 
It's not sports. It's sports entertainment. And so the thing that bothers me, though, is, like, in this match, like, there are so many points where they just, like, blatantly break the rules in front of the ref, and one of them will just run in, and even the announce table will be like, they're risking a disqualification, and, like, we all know they're not going to get disqualified. But to me, that breaks the immersion when you break the rules of the thing directly in front of the ref, because then I'm like, why are there rules? There are no rules. Yeah, and probably the worst part about it is when they're they're not enforced consistently, which they never are. You know, like, uh, you know, I've seen matches where someone does get disqualified for doing that, but you know, it doesn't happen in like a match like thirty minutes later. You know, <laughs> so you know, I, I do see how that can be kind of immersion breaking. It, tag team matches are, are where like rules kind of like don't matter as much because the more people you get involved, the harder it is. Like. I guess, I guess they're kind of hoping that you don't notice, which, like, you know, sometimes you don't, but, like, other times it... You yeah, know, if you I, have I a guess sort of trained the... eye, and if you're like us who are, like, like watching this and taking notes the whole time, then, you know... I guess sort of the biggest rule to be enforced is that whoever has the tag has to get the pin. That seems to be the one that they stick with most of the time. Yeah. Um, but, but, like, you can't be in the ring unless you're tagged in. That shit is just constantly out the window. Well, and they do it, and I think they do it a little bit in excess, where someone comes in and the referee's like, oh, let me stop you, and then, like, the guy on the other side comes in. And it just it happens way too much in this show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not as bad here because it's the first match, and I haven't seen it all night long. Uh, that's the other problem with, like, almost every match here is a tag team match. <laughs> yeah, which uh, just, again, keeps it messy and, and confusing. Eventually, all hell breaks loose, which, I mean, it... Pretty much was consistently all hell breaking loose throughout the whole match, but uh, uh, the LOD uh, tried to go for the Doomsday device where they put rock on on their shoulders and an animal comes off with a with a clothesline, but uh, Farouk comes in. Uh, Farouk is the uh, the leader of the Nation of Domination at this point. He comes in for the distraction, and D'Lo comes from behind, knocks Animal out of the ring, and the Rock hits a rock bottom, which I don't think they have named yet. Because they just are like, oh, he slams him, um, <laughs> and uh, and the Rock pins Hawk for the win, which I think is really cool that the Rock has a pinfall victory over a legendary wrestler like Hawk. So, can uh, I talk about just a couple of things that stood out to me in this match? Because I, I don't know wrestling well enough yet. I'm sure you're going to get me there to where I can okay. call moves. Like I can't go move for move because I I just don't know enough to know. Sure. But um, the things that stood out to me in this match, and this is just some commentary stuff that I got in, in a big moment for me, is uh, first of all, and this is said pretty early on in, and I don't know if this is their tagline, but it definitely shouldn't be, but uh, the commentary team says, Whom will join the Nation of Doom? Which I just think is stupid. I um, That is not their nickname, because the Legion of Doom is a two-man team pretty much, so... Yeah. Wait, you're talking about the Legion of Doom or Nation? You you combined them. You said Nation of Doom. Oh, Legion of Doom. Uh, sorry. Okay, because yeah. you made them into one team. Uh, whom will join the Legion of Doom is the line that comes out, and I just thought that was was a little little goofy. And then finally, I love the line where uh, he's talking about the referee, and he's like, "Punch the ref. He deserves it." And I just thought that was fun. Yeah, no, well, because the, the commentators also play their heel and face roles. So, you know, JR is the face, uh, Jerry the King Lawler is the heel, Vince is kind of really nothing. Um, but, yeah, no, and they, they, 
they do a good job of that, and it can be really funny, too, whenever King is just blatantly saying stuff like punch the ref. Yeah, King uh, is probably my favorite um, favorite commentator that I've that I've seen so far. He's great. I uh, I ended up actually it, you and I always kind of disagree on how we rate the matches. I, I I thought this one was actually pretty pretty good. Uh, I gave it a three point five out of five. Yeah, I thought it was. Um, I, I mean, I again, you're not going to see me uh, rate these on a star based system, at least not for a while, because uh, I don't know enough to know. But um, I enjoyed this. I I thought it was a fun match. I mean, minus yeah. all the racism and you know, um, sort of problematic features and the confusion. I thought overall fun time and and getting to see the Rock when he's like really young and before he's really established was cool to me because I I've never seen that before. Especially yeah, seeing I, the crowd uh, chant "Rocky sucks" was weird because like I'm so used to him even as a heel coming out and the crowd just going fucking nuts for him. Yeah, and that's kind of what made this match even better, was it was an impressive early moment in The Rock's career. Uh, I didn't really think anything was wrong with the match, other than there were probably too many many Um, run-ins. We go backstage next to Sunny, the original diva, uh, as she's often known. She's considered to be like the first, like, eye candy kind of talent. Um, back before that's back when that was really all that they let women do in wrestling. Uh, she and Doc Kendricks are promoting the superstar line where you can call and talk to your favorite superstars. Yeah, I thought that was kind of that was kind of wacky. Um, back in man, the nineties were such a different time because it was like they do interviews with the with the wrestlers, right? And then you call and then you listen to the interview over the phone. That's what I gathered. Oh, I thought it was like one of those like pre-recorded things where like they would like tell you a message when you call. I don't know. Maybe we should we could call the line, but they blurred it out on the network, so <laughs> you can't call. Um, so we go back to ringside with the, the commentators Vince Jarrett and King. They're talking about Brian Pillman again. Um, he was supposed to wrestle Dude Love tonight, uh, but. Yeah, obviously, Brian Pillman was found dead in his hotel room. So, so this like, is what they decide to do instead. Yeah, yeah, this is what they decided. Uh, that, and that's the thing. There's a lot of filler on this show, I think, because Brian Pillman died, and so they had to put two filler matches. This is our first one. They decided, well, you know what Brian would love? Midgets, because they're funny. Oh, okay. Little people. Um, which... God damn, this, 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 uh, calling them minis is just not good. I'll say that, uh, you know, um. Well, I mean, and they would kind of, they kind of had this little era where they would just be like, oh, it's funny because they're little, like, and they would do this a lot, and I don't really know why, because they weren't like, like, they weren't like guys who were on the card all the time. They weren't like showing up every night, every week on Raw. It was just like, like, you'd see them like Five times a year, maybe. Yeah, but and you know what I will say is that these guys are fucking impressive. Yeah, like, no, they, they really were good. It. They really are good wrestlers. Too bad, like the whole thing is just a joke, right? Because like they're out there. I think that they gave a better match to me, um, just as far as being technically impressive and a lot of like fucking acrobatic shit that was crazy cool. Yeah, uh, I, and I agree. It was, it was actually not a bad match. It was hard for me to 
wa- like watch and take notes because I don't know who any of those guys are because they don't ever wrestle. So I didn't really take my- many notes for this. No, I will say I was just saying how much I loved King, um, but there is a moment in this that uh, was was not great um, when when one of the wrestlers goes and places uh, his opponent onto the announce table, and King is just like, "Oh, I love this!" and uh, and he stands up and points at him and laughs. Yes, yes, yeah. No, that was strange. Um, but yeah, just. To say we had a wrestler die tragically, and what we're going to do to honor him is a joke match, and this shouldn't even be a joke match. Like, if you want to do this match, it should be for real, because these guys are actually very talented, and you should be respecting their talent. I wonder, like, these guys aren't, like, regular members of, like, the, like, roster, so, like... Did they just happen to be there? Are these guys always there in case the show goes short? Ah, yeah, damn it! I just I mean, did it. I have... just did. I just made a king joke. I didn't mean to. Oh god, yeah, that was unintentional. Uh, but you definitely do have to. I mean, for him to have died the night before, and then them have these this talent come. Not on even the night so before. He died fast. earlier that day. Oh yeah. So like, they had to be on hand somewhere. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I didn't bother giving this one a rating because I, it's just filled with so much. Yeah, I'll rate stuff. it as, as the, the wrestling itself. Um, again, I'm not going to give stars, but good. I enjoyed, like, I thought that they, they were very talented and I enjoyed what they did, um, outside of the context of, uh, a joke match to replace the match of a dead man. Let's let's move on. They do a promotion for Stone Cold's new shirt. They're really like they're really pimping out Stone Cold. Like he's like really becoming a big deal, and people love him. Except he's he's actually out with an injury during the show. But they're they're still doing their job. They're promoting the three sixteen T shirt, which is like his most famous thing. I just thought it was kind of cool. It's like this is the first three sixteen shirt. Yeah. So I I, I sort of took note that it was post Austin 316. When did Austin 316 happen? Um, how long have that been around at this point? Because, I mean, if you know anything about Steve Austin, you know that that is his uh, probably biggest calling card. Um, and, yeah, I'm just wondering how, how old is that at this point? When did he coin that? Um, so, in June was when uh, Stone Cold won the that year's King of the Ring. June 1997, he won the King of the Ring. Um and he he beat uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, who was doing this uh, like religious character, and so Austin went up to do his interview, and he says he's you know doing a promo, and he says you talk about your Psalms, you talk about your John three sixteen. Well, Austin three sixteen says I just whipped your ass, <laughs> and so what a so simple, it, not clever at all, but fantastic catchphrase yeah we'll move on to our next match another tag team this match this show is filled with too many tag team matches this one is weird because it's way too gimmicky uh this one is for the tag team championship uh we get the godwins phineas i godwin and henry o godwin whose initials spell pig and hog respectively oh my god get it because they're pig farmers 
So they're taking on the Headbangers, the tag team champions, Mosh and Thrasher, two guys who love heavy metal and wearing kilts. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, one, it appears that the only band that um, that the announce table is familiar with is Marilyn Manson, because they say like three times, these Marilyn Manson obsessed freaks, and like uh, two... Since when are kilts a part of the heavy metal scene? Yeah, I think it's because this was like during that time where everyone was like, Marilyn Manson, he's a devil worshiper. He's going to take your kids and make them be friends with Satan. I just don't see how that parlays into bagpipes. I don't either. I think that the it's quite possible, I don't know, that the World Wrestling Federation is very out of touch. No! So... We get uh, we start off and and Sunny the original diva comes out to the ring to announce the a tag team championship she used to manage the Godwins, um, and then the Headbangers come out they knock the Godwins out of the ring and then Mosh does this weird thing where he spits in the air and catches his own spit in his mouth yeah gross and Jerry Lawler says this really great quote that I just wanted to point out and he says. Kids at home should always put stuff back where it came from. I assume referring to Mosh spitting into his own mouth. <laughs> okay, so Mosh throws Phineas to the outside, and Thrasher does some move, but the cameras aren't pointed at him, so we just have to listen to the commentators describe what happened. And when they finally show a replay, it's him trying to do a Hurricane Rana, but it's just like a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just thought was kind of funny. Um... Back in the ring, the headbangers try to do this, like, double flapjack, which would be where they, they like, just the guy hits the ropes and they pick him up by his legs and slam him to the mat. But I think he's thinking that they're going to flip him because he, like, lands on his head. And that looked pretty brutal. Um, The headbangers are doing some really cool double team moves, like, uh, like Thrasher suplexes his own partner off the top rope and slams him down onto Phineas Godwin. That was pretty cool. cool. Uh, They show a replay of Thrasher sticking out his tongue for some reason. And then uh, Henry comes in and clotheslines Thrasher, and we see Thrasher's weird underwear. It's just really weird all around. Yeah, yeah, I do remember. I remember having to see up his kilt, which was kind of strange. Um, yeah, that upskirt shot. This uh, this match felt really kind of slow to me, too. Like, it felt like the pace was very, very low. Yeah, no, it was. I, I also forgot to mention Uncle Cletus. Yeah, how could you forget Uncle Cletus? Who is the manager for the the our pig farming boys, uh, the, the Godwins. Uh, he gets involved in the match a little bit. Um... He uh he he clotheslines Thrasher, and uh and distracts the ref a couple of times, but it, it, in all doesn't really do too much until the end, uh, where uh, Thrasher power bombs Mosh on top of Phineas, but Henry breaks it up. Um, and then Mosh goes for some kind of diving move, but Phineas catches him and hits a power bomb. And pins him while while Cletus holds Thrasher back, and helping them get the win. Isn't that what a good uncle does at a good proper hootenanny? 
I don't know if that if they're if he's their uncle or if his first name is just Uncle. That's fair, and I don't think we'll ever know. Um, I you know what you said it was slow. I I thought it was it had good back and forth and and a pretty good ending. Um, I get I gave it a three out of five stars. It's just too gimmicky, and these teams aren't really fun to root for because they're dumb. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's it. I don't know. It just it felt a little boring to me, honestly. Yeah, I, and that's part of it is if you can't really get behind and get invested in it, then you know why why really watch? Uh, the Godwins are now the tag team champions. They are attacking the Headbangers, and the ref goes outside and tells the ring announcer to say if the Godwins don't leave the ring immediately, they'll be stripped of the titles. They start to try to attack the referee and the ring announcer, which. Seems like they would get a worse punishment, but then they just then they just leave with the titles. So we do a little video package on Stone Cold. The announcers are calling it the month of Stone Cold, even though he's not uh, he's not competing here. He's heavily featured because he's still like one of the biggest stars in the company. Um, just to give you some background, he got injured in a match with Owen Hart at SummerSlam, which would have been in August, I believe, so a couple months earlier. Um, he was wrestling Owen Hart, and Owen Hart gave him a tombstone pile driver where he literally drops him on his head. Although you're not supposed to actually drop the guy on his head, but that's what happened here. Uh, broke Austin's neck in the middle of the match um, and changed Austin's career forever. His, it shortened his career. Austin did not have a very long wrestling career, and he kind of had to slow down it and really kind of really? neuter his style after that. Uh, it, always impressive, though, about that was that he still won the match anyway because he was, he was booked to win the match, so he, with a broken neck, crawled over and managed to somehow God f- hard onto his back and pin him. Um, um, but they do say something about Stone Cold uh, uh, here. I think they say it. In, they either say it in the package. I think it's the first thing they say, uh, and they say Stone Cold Steve Austin is by definition a rattlesnake. And I thought that was really funny. <laughs> he, he is slithers part around. snake. He has a rattle on his tail. And he is incredibly venomous. But I guess saying Steve Austin is figuratively a rattlesnake, is that sort of takes the wind out of it. <laughs> um, even though Austin's injured, they're still, you know, building him up. He... he that match where he got injured, he won the Intercontinental title from Owen Hart, but obviously could not defend it because of his injury. So uh, I think they're I think they're actually they have him as the Intercontinental champion here, um, but they're having they had a tournament to determine the new champion, the finals of which we'll get to in just a minute. That um, they do an interview with Owen Hart, who broke his neck, and and. Uh, Owen Hart says he's going to take the Intercontinental title, which is rightfully his, because uh, Owen Hart's going to wrestle Farouk a little bit later in the finals of this of this tournament. Uh, Austin, this is where Vince and Austin's rivalry kind of starts coming out. A little bit earlier than I thought. I I didn't think it started until like 1998 uh, when Austin was going to compete for the world title, but. Um, uh, we actually see Austin stun Jr. Sergeant Slaughter and King. And then Vince tells him, you know, if he's it, he can't wrestle because he's hurt, and so Austin stuns Vince McMahon for what I assume is the very first time before he gets taken to jail. Just thought it was worth noting that uh, 
this flashback, we get to see the first ever Stone Cold Center to Vince McMahon, the first one. <laughs> we go to what I was not promoted as such, but what I assume was a fil- another filler segment. Um, they're doing this, like, uh, ceremony for all the legends of the of of the wrestling business that are from St. Louis. Uh, I mean, it was nice, but it, it, it really didn't have a big impact on the show. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Um, I fast-forwarded through that. Yeah, I, I, I fast-forwarded through it. The only thing I want to mention is that Luthez is still alive, which I thought he was... I always thought of Luthez, because he's got moves named after him. I always imagined him as being, like, a guy who, like, wrestled in, like, cave paintings. Like, I didn't <laughs> think... That he was a guy who was alive in the 90s, but whatever. Uh, we go back to the stage to Doc Kendrick's interviewing the Nation of Domination, um, mostly Farouk, who is... Uh, Hendrix accuses Farouk of holding the trump card, that being Austin, who will be at ringside for the Intercontinental title match. Austin obviously feuding with Owen Hart. Uh, he's like, well, you got Austin out there. He's obviously gunning for Owen Hart, obviously does not want him to win the title because he's the guy who broke his neck. He denies this. Um, we're about to go to their match, but before that, we go back to talk about Brian Pillman's death. They say they don't suspect foul play, and then Vince says that drugs are a problem in all sports and entertainment. So he's like, it's not just wrestling. Yeah, this motherfucker's trying to get drugs. out ahead of it for sure. Yeah. So, just worth briefly bringing up. So we go to the, our Intercontinental title match for Rook versus Owen Hart. This is the finals of a tournament to determine who's going to take that title. Currently hold by, held by Austin, but he's going to have to vacate because of his neck injury. Um, Farouk comes out without the rest of the Nation of Domination, interestingly. Owen Hart comes out with his Slammy Awards, um, which the Slammies were like an old-school thing they used to do where they had like an award ceremony like they had their own Oscars called the Slammies and they would like people would win stuff for like best finisher and so he comes out with those kind of goofy and also wearing an Owen 316 shirt yeah um so I get that this all like feud within the story and everything but uh you you for real broke this man's neck um, yeah, well, uh, you know, if something happens in real life that's bad, they love to... Oh, yeah, and I'm sure that to, they're uh, actually, like, friends. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, apparently Owen felt really bad about it, uh, of course. Um, he, he it would be weird if he t-shirt. didn't. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> he shows the back of the shirt, and uh, it, the back of the shirt says, I just broke your neck. Yeah, a little on the nose. More like on the neck. Oh, good one. On the red neck. <laughs> because he's 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 a country boy. Um, Austin's music hits. He comes out with the title because apparently he's still technically the champion. Uh, he goes and sits down by the commentators and even rings the bell himself. Uh, he takes off Vince's headset and starts doing commentary, which is, which is funny. I um, did love that. I mean, I thought that that was, was very funny, very good, and I think probably a way for them to sort of interject Austin, who, as as you were saying, a rising star at this point, but can't actually compete, so, like, how do we have him take part in the pay-per-view? Um, and, and that's sort of their answer to that. 
I do think yeah, it was definitely a, that it does take away a little bit from the match. It's very distracting. Absolutely. Um, I, I definitely think that. Um, this match was uh, not that great, actually, despite you know having two really good guys in there. Um, it's all about Austin. In fact, it's it, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is a heel versus heel match, which rarely happens. Yeah, because the crowd hates Austin's the only face involved. Um, we watch most of the match in like a split screen where we're seeing Austin talking and we're watching the match. So we really don't see the match. Um, it lasts like two minutes. The match is really short. Um <laughs> And, like, not much happens. Uh, yeah. Jim Neidhart, or Owen gets puts Farouk in the sharpshooter, and Jim Neidhart, who is um, Brett Hart and Owen Hart's uh, brother-in-law, he's part of their Hart Foundation team, uh, he comes to the ring and distracts the referee while Austin hits Farouk in the head with the title belt. And Austin, or Owen pins Farouk. Everyone's confused. They're like, why did Austin hit Farouk, why didn't he hit Owen Hart? Because now Owen Hart is the champion. Um, yeah, I want answers. I don't, I, uh, yeah, I guess they never explain it in, in the show. Uh, what they would later explain, the reason why he did that was he wanted Owen to be the champion so that he could beat Owen for the title. Okay, I guess that like makes he sense. He wanted the guy to get the title back from the guy who broke his neck. Makes sense, okay. Yeah. So, that, that, was, that was kind of a cool way to end it. Um... But I gave it one star because it was supposed to be this tournament final for the second-best championship in the company, and it goes two minutes, and we don't even get to watch it in full screen. Yeah, I feel like Farouk really got done dirty on this one. Uh, Going from Hart Foundation to Hart Foundation, the rest of the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart, um, is going to be featured here later. Uh, we show a replay of the Hart Foundation, Brett Owen, British Bulldog, and Jim Neidhart attacking Vader and the Patriot and draping Canadian flags on them. Basically, <laughs> the Hart Foundation is doing this, like, Canadian heel gimmick. Yeah, the Canada-U.S. feud during this is so goddamn stupid, and I think it's hilarious. So they've done a lot of, like, Ameri- like, like feuds between two people from different countries but canada and u.s is so dumb because like it's like of all the countries that would ever like fight each other well i don't know maybe now (laughs) but in 1997 maybe not right like there's no uh, canada u.s beef and like yeah (laughs) and also to make the canadians the heels is really funny because like canadians are always known for being really nice and Americans are known for being very rude, so it's funny <laughs> that it's the opposite here. Um, they're going to have the flag match later, which, first of all, I hate flag matches. They are the dumbest. They, any any match where the object is to grab something, unless it's a ladder match. I was going to uh, say, you don't like a ladder match? I love a, a good ladder, ladder match. A ladder match is fine, but, but like anything on a pole, any item on a pole match is stupid. Um, and they're announcing that they're changing the rules to allow pinfall and submission. Yeah, which so I want to talk it's about a regular more. match. So you can either win this match the regular way, or by grabbing the flag. Like it's why? Why add pin- like at that point? Why? Why is it even an option? Yeah, like, I thought it was really dumb, and I want to talk about it more when we get down down to that sure. uh, that match. 
It, it's it's dumb. Uh, but speaking of dumb, we move on to our next uh, dead man filler match. <laughs> oh, God. Um, which Vince outright admit he's like, we're doing this match because Brian Pillman is dead. Like, I mean, he just says it. You kind of um, get the feeling that he did not care much for Brian Pillman. Um, or maybe I he resents Vince... him for dying before he's supposed to be on TV. I don't know. Well, I, I think Vince McMahon just does not possess human emotions other than anger and horny, but... Uh, that's true. <laughs> um, We get this match, which honestly, if the last match hadn't been like two minutes long and like we hadn't really seen it, this would be my least favorite match because I can't keep up with it because Everyone's wearing the same clothes, and everyone looks the same, and it's uh, uh, and it's also a race war. Uh, yeah, and eight goddamn people is way too many. And eight goddamn people is way too many. Um, Zach, you know what? I'm going to let you take this one because I know you have lots of things to say about it. Um, I mean, not too much more than I already said, but the uh, this is just a further example, I feel, of the um, sort of racial tensions here, the, the problematic stuff that comes with that, because the— uh, how, and I, I can't quite remember how to pronounce this team's name. The Los, um, what is that? Bariquas. Yeah, so the Los Bariquas um, really are here, I think, as a prop in a lot of ways. And uh, this match, about halfway through, really starts feeling like a hate crime. Because <laughs> um, they're just getting wailed on by these white dudes and it's just it just doesn't feel good you know when you see something and you're like "Mm, something's off about this that is the feeling i got with this match for sure and see here's the thing they're like right in this transitional period between attitude era and uh, however you want to call the era before a lot of people call the new federation era where like Everyone had this crazy gimmick, and versus the Attitude Era was everything got, like, real, like, controversial and trashy. So you get both of those at the same time here, which is not very good. So you get Biker Gang versus Puerto Rican Gang. Yeah. And it's—no one would ever want that. Um, I don't know who anyone in this match is. I have never heard of any of them except for Savio Vega. Oh, you're not a a Skull Uh, stan? Yeah, I, honestly, I don't even think there's like one wrestler. There's one guy who doesn't even wrestle. It's Eight Ball. Eight Ball never wrestles. In yeah, because I do have their names written down here, and all I have is Skull Chains and Crush. So, yeah, Skull Chains, Crush, um, and and Eight Ball is the other. You one. know, I, I, I kind of see why they didn't have Eight Ball compete when his name is uh, he's named that because of drugs. You know that is. You got a point there. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to talk too much about this match. Yeah, I think uh, we can pretty much move on. The 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 disciples of the apocalypse win. I gave it two out of five. It there wasn't really much to say about it other than it had it was a filler. It had too much going on and was a little bit just rubbed me the wrong way. So we go backstage, Michael Cole's interviewing Bret Hart and the British Bulldog. I always think it's really funny the Hart Foundation has the British Bulldog in it because he's not Canadian, as evidenced by his name. Right. He's just another one of their brothers-in-law. And like, he goes on talking about in that in in this spot, uh, just like about how fucking Canada's the best and shit, and I'm like, but his name is 
His name's he doesn't even go there. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even go here. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we go back out, and they start trying to. Or, or, first, Brett cuts this promo about how Americans suck, and it's like it, it's. I hate those because it's like. It's such an easy way to get booze. It's so easy. Yeah, I feel like especially in it. Well, okay. Especially in 1997, probably not as much as you would four years later, but um, still, oh, yeah, still no. pretty easy to. But so, so they start trying to explain how it works, and I really don't understand why they added pinfall and submission to this match. I because think it might be because Vader's so big. <laughs> maybe, maybe because. I think maybe they tried practicing it earlier in the day, and Vader just could But I don't know. I, Vader is big, but he, like, does moonsaults and stuff, and he does climb up the turnbuckles. It's not like he had to climb up a ladder. He just had to get up the turnbuckles. I hate, I hate stuff on a pole matches anyway because, to me, it's like it feels too easy to win, and yet they last too long. Oh, agreed. But, okay, here's my thing. When you're the size of Vader, you're big guy. You can get up on that turnbuckle, and he can do. I, I given he did a lot of things in this match that I did not think Vader could physically do. But when you get up to that slippery little pole, and you're that big, big man. <laughs> oh man, Ooh, this is gross. <laughs> this is big, dirty. <laughs> I just feel like you know. I feel like it's the last couple of feet there that really will sabotage you. But then again, you know, like watch that last step. It's a doozy. <laughs> But then again, like, I mean, I guess you could always just have his partner do it. So I don't know if that's why they changed it or not. I haven't, wait, that's what I was going to ask you is if you knew why they changed the rules on this. Because to me, it completely eliminates the point of having the special match. Oh, I found out why. All four of them were hurt coming into the match. Oh, goddamn. And it's really funny because I'm going to spoil the ending. It ends with a pinfall, which they would not change it. If that were that's the thing, it gives away the ending too. Like anytime you change it to add a new way to win, that's like going to be like, the way. Oh, they okay, win. well that yeah. that's the way it's going to end. You know, like yeah, I could tell that when they announced it for sure. It was because they were all hurt. I actually couldn't really tell that, but like thinking back on it, because it's kind of slow. It is. It's very uh, slow. It's slow, and it's not. A, honestly, here's the thing. I don't think it would have been better if it was just a flag match. Yeah, like, I, I agree. Because, like, that's just not a good gimmick. If you win by getting the item, then, like, why don't you just, like, go for it immediately? It's not that hard to stop someone from going to the top rope. They do it all the time. Yeah, um, agreed. And, okay, so I actually thought that Vader was a much older wrestler. I've never seen anything with him in it, um... Uh, he he actually has been around for a while. I mean, he was wrestling probably. I mean, he was wrestling in the eighties and maybe even a little bit into the seventies. Yeah, I um, always thought he was a like big eighties wrestler. I did not realize he was still yeah, around. Yeah, he was. He was. Now, this is probably towards the end of his in ring career, mostly. Uh, but he he would go on and wrestle for a long time. Um, the Vader and Patriot team is so weird. The Patriot in general, is weird just because he's a character that's just, like, kind of forgotten. Yeah, and also... So forgotten, in fact, that they reused his music for Kurt Angle. <laughs> he's the Patriot. Why does he wear a luchador mask? 
it's that's a great question. I just thought it was so funny when he came out, and I was like, "Wait, why is wait Kurt Angle wasn't wrestling in 1997?" <laughs> and then it's like, "Oh, okay," because that music is so recognizable to me. It's Kurt Angle's music. Uh, they do do a quick interview with Vader and Patriot, who say they're going to do whatever it takes to win. And Vader says the Hart Foundation are a bunch of bullshit, and Vince <laughs> has to apologize, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> but hey. If you're Vader, you know, we're talking about you've been in the company that long. You just say whatever the fuck you want, dude. Hulk Hogan, I think, thought that that applied to him. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, they, they, uh, they, start, they start fighting, like, on the outside immediately uh, and start brawling. They start hitting each other with these other flags that they also had. There's lots of flags also, they're hitting each other, and I don't know. I guess there's no disqualifications in this match. I don't really know. They kind of explain it as like, oh, the match hasn't actually started yet, so they're not going to get disqualified. But I, I don't really know. It's That's never quite explained. Um, eventually, Vader and Patriot go in the ring and start posing. Yeah. Instead of just grabbing the flag. That really pissed me off. And then they finally start to go for it, and then Bulldog comes in the ring and cuts him off. Like, what? I, uh, it, it bothers me. Yeah, that's the problem with this match is you can't make it very interesting. Because even sometimes in ladder matches, you'll get that. You, like, you can clearly tell they're stalling, climbing up the ladder. But in this one, it's way more obvious because the items are not far away from them. Right. And so that's the biggest thing with me. And this is the thing with the rule breaking, too. Like, I understand that it doesn't matter because I understand that the rules aren't real. I am willing, though, to suspend my disbelief to a certain point. But you cannot tell me that they would have such an easy way to win and expect me to suspend my disbelief to that, you know? You, you can't set up these rules and then, like, not adhere to them. Exactly. You can win this really hard way or this very easy way. This match suffers from a stipulation, but also apparently because they were all injured, which... Uh, it's also very important to mention that Bret Hart is the WWF champion, which I kind of forgot about considering he's not in the main event, and it's this is a weird spot to feature your world champion. I, anyway, I'm not going to go into all of this stuff because it's really just a bunch of... It's, it's, it's the same thing they're doing with every tag team match in this show where someone tries to run in, the referee gets distracted, they try to go grab the flagpole, but then the other partner knocks them off and starts attacking them, and then they start double-teaming them, and the referee comes and breaks them up, and then the other guy comes in and starts fighting everybody. It happens, like, nine times in this match. Yeah. Yeah, it's really annoying. It's, uh, it literally just happens over and over again. Uh, I, I'll bring up Vader does try that, uh, that moonsault, uh, but Bulldog gets on the way, and I think Vader even lands on his feet. And that was pretty. <laughs> yeah, cool. I did think that was actually pretty, pretty impressive, because I, didn't think, I thought of a big dude like Vader landed on his feet, that his feet would just snap like little twigs. Yeah, but he's got big fucking legs too. Yeah, big man. He's got them BFLs. Large boy. Yeah, just large ham hocks of <laughs> lower body arms. <laughs> That's the most disturbing um, way anyone's ever described legs. Thank you. I just felt like doing something different. <laughs> Unlike this match. Um, oh, I, okay. One, probably the best part of the match, though, is when the fan tries to come into the ring. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, because they, they mentioned it on the announce. 
Yeah, and it was really funny because the ref and the bulldog just kick his ass. <laughs> like the referee like literally tries to kick him, which I think is really funny. And also, I think it's so stupid. Like, who would ever in their right mind think, hmm, it's a good idea for me to charge at these guys who fight for a living? I Honestly, though, I do have to say I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. A couple of people out there just looking for their 15 minutes, you know, uh, trying to run it, in the ring. I'm surprised that it is not like every single goddamn show. It happens relative. I mean, it, there's like, you can look up like compilations on YouTube. Well, I feel like when you buy your wrestling ticket, there's like an exception. Like there's an inherent waiver of like, if I fuck around in the ring, I will get my ass kicked. Well, I mean, you can't, att- I mean, it's, it's, it, they're, you're attacking someone. Oh, absolutely. That's towards the end of the match. Uh, Vader hits a Vader bomb on Brett. Bulldog, I, I wrote Bulldog fights with Brett on the outside. I am sure that that is not true. I'm sure Bulldog was fighting with maybe <laughs> Patriot on the outside. Um, eventually, pa- blah, blah. Patriot tries to roll up Brett, but Brett reverses it into a roll-up of his own for the win. Uh, I wrote, why wasn't this a regular match? Uh, I eventually got my in- I, Honestly, I guess they... I guess they couldn't just change it to a regular match because then that would have seemed like they were like downgrading it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they technically did, but it, you know, uh, they they did their best, I guess, with what they could. I gave it a two out of five stars because it had lots of great talent in the ring, but suffered from a really stupid stipulation that was not. Yeah, I thought it was utilized. I thought it was generally it was pretty lame. Um. Uh, they go to a video package promoting Survivor Series 1997, which is coming up in Montreal. Um, if you're a fan of wrestling out there and you're listening to this and you're probably getting all excited in your seat, if you're not, you're like, what's so important about Montreal? Well, that's the show with the infamous Montreal Screwjob, which I am positive we will talk about at some point. Uh, it's where uh, the wrestling, the what goes on TV co- becomes very, very real. Um, and is one of the most infamous incidents in wrestling ever. Uh, we won't get it too much into it. I just I seeing it promoted and then like knowing what happens is just like that. I have no of. idea what this is, but um, I assume I assume we'll discuss it later. Like you said. All right. So next we're we're getting underway to the build up of the main event. They're bringing down the Hell in the Cell. Uh, it's being lowered to the ring for the very first time. In wrestling history. Now, um, I, I yes. just want to say, we've watched a couple of Hell in a Cells um, sort of outside of doing this show. And this one, I mean, they, they, we've seen some very cool ones. But this one felt the most special. Because, like, you can feel the excitement of this being the first time this has ever been done. Yes. The, yeah. Well, I mean, it is. It's a big deal. And it was, the thing about it is, like, I, I one of the things I hate now is that Hell in a Cell is like a pay-per-view. Like, it's like every year we'll do a Hell in a Cell at this time. And that, to me, like the Hell in a Cell should be reserved for like a blow-off to a rivalry. Like, it's it shouldn't just be, oh, well, it's time for the Hell in a Cell match. Because like then you get guys wrestling in Hell in a Cells that like don't hate each other enough. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole thing with the Hell in a Cell is that it's fucking brutal, man. And... I agree. I agree with that. So the point of the original Hell in a Cell was that, you know, they didn't want him to wrestle in a cage because the cage is like the point is to escape. 
This one is a cage, but with a roof, and it's bigger. And you can, like, go to the outside of the ring and get weapons, but you you can't get out. You're locked in there. They literally padlock. And I will say that for a while, I have thought, you know, like, again, I mentioned the Mick Foley Hell in a Cell. I think that's really cool. But I have thought a lot of the time, like, what's the point of a Hell in a Cell? Like, you can still get out of the ring. Um, But this match shows you what the point of the Hell in a Cell is. Yeah, originally, and although it happens in most every Hell in a Cell, if you actually watch them and pay attention, you're, like, you're not supposed to get out. Like, they always do. Like, but they all, if you watch it, it's always, like, it's like someone comes and rips the door open, or, like, someone gets, like, or they start on the top, or someone gets knocked through the side of the cage. It's never like they just can go and come and go as they please. Uh, although they always do, but it's part of like kind of the drama. It's like, oh, what are they going to do this time? Um, and this was the first one, so it had nothing to live up to. You know, it's honestly, it's one of the problems with the second Hell in the Cell with Mick Foley is you really can't ever live up to that one. Like, you're never going to do something crazier than getting thrown off the top or getting thrown through the the. Yeah, I mean, the Hell in a Cell started at a 10. I think Foley took it to an 11, and now there's just nowhere else to go. Yeah, I mean, there's still great matches, uh, and there are, there will be some good ones, but I don't think any of them really will top these two. Um, backstage, we see Doc Hendricks with Degeneration X. Degeneration X is uh, the stable started by Shawn Michaels and Triple H. They're bad boys. They show their butts. They talk about dicks and boobies uh very classic attitude era here this was their original incarnation with Shawn michaels triple h china and rick rude it's actually interesting is Shawn michaels is the european champion um which he eventually drops to triple h in like a fake match where like he he like lays down and lets him pin him uh i I just i just want to talk about the european championship first because it's a weird title Firstly, because it's not like it's not like oh, you can only defend it in Europe, or only Europeans can win it. Because in fact, only two Europeans have ever won the title. Um, that and is it was odd. like also this like third title. It was like it wasn't the world title. It was also not the intercontinental title. It was just this other one. Uh, we then go to our 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 promo package of of Shawn Michaels versus the Undertaker. Uh, we get a glimpse into the Shawn Michaels of old. So a little bit about Shawn Michaels. Uh, he's he's one of the best performers ever. Um, he's he, he's been in countless amazing matches, um, but he used to be a huge asshole before he got off pills and got on Christianity. You know um, what I will say about him though? He's always been a very sexy boy. He is very sexy. He sings his own sexy theme music. Um, But that was his whole gimmick was that he was a bad boy and everything. And he was that in real life as well Um, until he, like, he would later have a back injury at the beginning of the following year in 1998 and would take about four years off, get clean, come back and have this huge career renaissance where he was arguably better than he was before. Um uh, we see him being an asshole. Uh, he hits Undertaker with a steel chair. Um, basically, the background of this match is that 
Undertaker was wrestling. Undertaker was the WWF champion wrestling Bret Hart at SummerSlam that year with Shawn Michaels as the special referee. Shawn Michaels hit Taker with the chair, causing him to lose, and Bret Hart got the championship. So that's where this whole rivalry comes from, and that's why they're locking them inside a hell in a cell because their rivalry cannot be contained by the ring. You know, I think um, that this match, more so than any other match in this show, actually tells a story. Um, oh, yeah. And that story is of a very cocky man that gets the shit beat out of him. That is true. And, and that's the thing about this match is that it's really good just from a wrestling standpoint. And it also tells a really great story in more ways than one, which we'll get to. Um that's kind of why I consider this to be the kickoff of the Attitude Era because it's the beginning of like one of the longest running, like most famous storylines in wrestling history. Uh, a little bit of background about the Undertaker, real quick. Undertaker is also Undertaker and Shawn Michaels are huge legends of this business with a long storied career. Undertaker is the guy who ends up injuring Shawn and putting him out of action for four years. Um, He's also the guy who ends up retiring Shawn Michaels um, in 2009. Uh, they, they wrestle at WrestleMania in Shawn Michaels' retirement match. Um, and the year before, at WrestleMania 25, the two of them have what a lot of people call the best wrestling match that's ever happened. Um, so this is, you know, so these are guys who have been wrestling each other forever. Um, and their chemistry is so good. They work so well together. Undertaker is another guy who's extremely well-respected in the wrestling business. Uh, he's like the locker room leader. Uh, he, you know, took on a gimmick in a time where everyone was getting crazy gimmicks. They were like, dead zombie man. And he took it and, like, turned it into something incredible. Because like, do you realize how easy it would be? For us to, like, if Undertaker was not the, the performer that he is, he wasn't so damn good at it, how easy it would be for us to be like, hey, you remember the time that the WWE made the zombie character? Yeah, that was fucking weird. But instead, yeah. he's iconic. Exactly. That that would never work now. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a testament to the, to, to the man playing him uh, who's done such, a, such an incredible, incredible, incredible job. Um, before we get to the match proper, uh, let's take a little bit of time to break out that dictionary. Oh, okay. What, uh, what are we learning today? Today, we're, we're going to tell you about our word of the day. Today's word of the day is blading. Zach, do you know what that means? Um, isn't that where you get two wrestlers and then you put them in an ice rink? And then they uh, they sort of wrestle on on roller roll well not roller blades but um but skating blades right that's that's it that was very close except for no one calls them skating blades they call them ice skates mm, tomatoes portatos <laughs> but anyway so blading so especially in the attitude era it can get kind of bloody. And you may be asking yourself, there are so many people who think that they just, like, get out, like, some fake blood or, like, squirt a ketchup packet on their face. But, no, it's real blood. It's real blood from the real wrestlers um, the majority of the time. Um, what they typically do, and you'll see plenty of it in this match, is uh, 
they'll usually hide a razor blade in their wrist tape, or a lot of times the referee will pass it to them while they're laying on the ground. So if somebody gets hit by a chair and they're laying down on the ground, they're getting that razor blade and they're literally making an incision on their forehead because that's like where you can make a lot of blood come out. It mixes with your sweat and it makes you look really bloody, but it actually doesn't do too much long-term damage. And that's what they do. Uh, They didn't, this was like kind of an old timey practice from back in the day that they sort of started going away from in the eighties. And they actually would get, if, if somebody did it, they would get in trouble. Uh, there were there are a few times in the '80s where you can find people doing it. They started relaxing, uh, relaxing on a little bit, and then here in the '90s, and then even up into like 2000, uh, the the early 2000s. There, like I, I was recently watching some Monday Night Raws from from like 2003, and like people are like bleeding every week. Um, wow. And yeah, that's 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 what they do to sell the match. They actually have have put a ban on it now they don't do it anymore um for a lot of health reasons yeah it seems a little bit um barbaric in ways in a way that like seeing blood is cool kind of i'm not gonna say it's not cool it's pretty cool it's pretty rad but also like sort of um we shouldn't be expecting our performers to literally bleed for us yeah, um, I mean, there's really no other way to make blood look convincing. So, uh, me personally, I would say just don't. Um, there are v- very few, and there's honestly only one exception I can think of where I was like, this match would not be the same if there was no blood. It would probably be the Stone Cold versus Bret Hart match where Austin bleeds and uh, and passes out from blood loss. And that's what kind of makes him a star, because everyone's like, oh, he never submitted. He just was too bloody. Um, that's probably the only match I can think of that, that won't, would not be the same, if not for blood, just because it's part of the story. Um, regardless, uh, you know, there's plenty of it in this match and plenty of it in the Attitude Era. It's it's fun to watch, you know, with, with rose-colored glasses. But just for those of you who are not wrestling fans, aficionados, uh, that's a little bit of the background into how we get blood. They call it blading. You might hear blade job, getting color. Sometimes they'll say literally. Uh, I've also heard juicing, which is sounds really gross. And also like steroids. Yes. That's probably why you don't hear it too You much know, though, I don't John understand. Michaels, why don't you just get a couple of ketchup packets? You put them on your wrist, right? And you smash it in your head. And it smashes the ketchup all over your face and no one can tell. And then you have a snack for later. Yeah, then you just, like, lick it off. So we go into a, into our match. This is a, a – I think I forgot to mention this match is going to determine the number one contender for Bret Hart's WWF championship. So whoever wins here gets a shot at Bret and his world title. We get the OG DX coming out all together. I don't know why Shawn Michaels brought his posse out. They're going to get locked outside the cage, but – I guess he just needed someone to walk with him. Um, I like how great of a job Shawn Michaels does when he starts freaking out while they're locking the cell. Yo, oh my god, that was so good. Um, and, and you know, though, I also can we just acknowledge that "Sexy Boy" is the greatest walkout music imaginable. And I like how before that they have Commissioner Slaughter go and check under the cell because they're like someone could be hiding under there, <laughs> which I think is just really wacky and fun. 
Um, yeah, he's like looking under there. There could be someone hiding under there. And they're like, there also could be weapons. And he's like, well, that's fine. <laughs> uh, we might need these tables later for our for dinner. <laughs> but I do we have need to say, this furniture under this wrestling ring. There is no intro that is more iconic or more um, intense than that of The Undertaker. I I thought you might you might still be talking about Shawn Michaels, <laughs> but no, yeah, Undertaker's entrance is really great. It usually lasts like longer than his matches, but but we get Taker coming out with the lights going out and the the gongs and shit, and uh, and and Taker Taker comes in. Shawn's still freaking out. It's it's really great that he's terrified of the Undertaker. Right, and that really goes well towards telling this story um, of, of Shawn Michaels being super cocky with his posse and everything, and then he gets into the cell, and then just fucking darkness, and then he's scared. I love it. Well, it ta- it, it does a very good job. This match is is honestly, I would consider it to be one of the best matches in the history of the WWE. Just because it's got it, it does that so perfectly that not a lot of matches can do. Where the wrestling is really, really good and the storytelling is really, really good. Um, it's it's incredible. Um, Taker is like immediately uh, going to work on Sean, hitting the old school, hits him with the leg drop. He also um, briefly walks across the top rope. Which oh, yes. super cool. I said that I uh, I I forget that you know we're not all wrestling fans here, so we don't know the move. Oh, and I said the old school. That's the name of his move. That's his one of his signature moves, where he grabs the guy by the arm, twists it, and then does this walk along the ropes. Which for a guy who's three hundred pounds, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, I, I thought that was just super rad. Um, we we get to the outside pretty quick when uh when. Undertaker throws Shawn Michaels over the top rope, and he, like, hits the cage as he's going out. Um, Taker immediately starts using the cage as a weapon, which uh, King says, you're not supposed to use it as a weapon, which is really funny because, (laughs) like, that's, like, the whole point. Like, could you imagine how, like, how, how flaccid this match would be if it was just them wrestling in a cell that is not does not become involved in the match at all. <laughs> yes, this it's just a regular match with like that's covered. But there's also a cell here. But you know, I think uh, a lot of fun weapons come out here with the stairs, um, for sure. Yeah, I-, I think that's what they were trying to promote it as. It's like, oh, it's a cage match that you can use weapons in. You know, okay, uh, that you can actually leave the ring. Because they didn't want to like, t- they wanted to keep it like a secret that they were going to go outside of the cell. That was supposed to be a big surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I I, I like when Sean starts trying to climb up the cell. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Um, it looks like he's trying to just run away. That was that was yeah, great. It's like, where are you going to go, man? Um, he uh, he's able to like slam him into the cell wall. Um. He's just like ramming him back and forth between the turnbuckle post and the and the and the cell. He eventually 
Sean starts coming back and does this cool, uh, he does like a suicide dive onto Taker. They both go into the cell wall, and then Sean climbs halfway up the cell wall and then drops down with an elbow. Yeah, it's fucking sick. was pretty cool. And that's not something people ever do in, in, cell, in Hell in a Cell matches, which it's, you know, of all the things to do, there's like way crazier things to do, but I'm like, I wish people would do that more often, like climb up the cell from the inside. Yeah, but yeah, it was really, I, it's it's really fun. I like it because it's if you, they climb up on the, the outside, we know where they're going. They're going up to the top. Yeah, and you know you can't really do much wrestling once you're up on top of it. So I like to see them use it when they're inside, uh, as instead of just when they're outside. Oh, I was just going to say, there's a line in the commentary when Michaels is using this chair. Um, because apparently chairs are sort of a motif between him and Undertaker uh, because of what we had talked yeah. about previously. Uh, but I believe it's King that says, Michaels is the chairman of the board here. And it, it just killed me. And Vince was and, and Vince kicked him underneath the table after that, too. <laughs> um. Sean hits a pile driver on like the bottom portion of the steel steps on Taker, which it, we've seen how bad pile drivers can go. Uh, that move is eventually banned, pi- like pile drivers, and they eventually they just let Taker do tombs- tombstones, eventually because he's the only one they trust. So rarely nowadays will you see someone do a pile driver because they can be really dangerous. Yeah, I thought the Especially pile driver when, when you're ramming someone's head into. A staircase. Yeah, that looked really dangerous. And it was. <laughs> um, yeah, he starts hitting him with a chair on the inside of the ring. Um, oh, oh, so so Sean Sean ties Taker up in the ropes with his arms, uh, and he's 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 beating him, and he eventually like tries to charge at him, but Taker gets his foot up and somehow escapes the ropes. Uh, Sean charges him again, but Undertaker tosses him over the top rope, and he lands on top of a cameraman, um, which honestly made me think to their match at WrestleMania 25. I didn't realize, now I'm understanding that that was a throwback to this match, because there's a, a point in their WrestleMania 25 match where Undertaker jumps over the top rope and hits a cameraman. I mean, obviously, it's not a real cameraman. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. But... Yeah, he, he Sean crashes into him, and then he starts beating him up later because, I don't know, I guess he's mad that he was broke his fall. I don't know. Well, I do think, though, that the—okay, well, there's one point where he gets he gets in the way of a move that he's about to do. Um, oh, okay. And he yeah. has to sort of reset and do, and do it again. Uh, but I think that the—it really does show—like, it's almost like Shawn Michaels is having a temper tantrum, right? Um— which I think also sort of plays into this story of him being this guy who is a lot of talk and a lot of showy, showy shit, but um, actually a child. The They bring out, like, the EMTs and Sergeant Slaughter to come, like, put this guy on a stretcher. So because of that, they have to start lifting up the cell wall. So Shawn Michaels is like, ah, yes, I can escape. So he uh, he, he actually hits a sweet chin music, a super kick, his, his finisher— Undertaker immediately sits up, and so he runs out of the of the cell. Um, but Taker follows him, 
and uh, they start fighting on the outside, and he does like a like a catapult and sends him into the cell wall, and that's when he starts bleeding. I do think he, that uh, with the sweet chin music and with a lot of the moves that he lands on Undertaker, like Undertaker is special in that the Undertaker not selling is the Undertaker selling. Uh, you get what I'm saying? Because he's playing this well, zombie character. In- like, his whole thing is just that, like, he is unfazed by anything you do to him, and it's a super badass, like, uh, gimmick. Well, very early on in his career, he never would sell uh, because he would he would just like wrestle, you know, enhancement talent and beat him in like thirty seconds. Uh, so he uh, he would slowly start selling a little more, but the the sit up thing is 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 classic taker. Um, he's ramming Sean face first in the cell. Shawn Michaels is bleeding terribly. Um, Shawn Michaels, there's a lot of wrestlers who are like heavy bleeders. Shawn Michaels is one of them. I don't know like what it is about his skin. Oh boy, but <laughs> does it come so... out in this match? Uh, it does. It literally at one point uh, gets onto the camera. Uh, once Shawn is able to kick Undertaker in the crotch, he climbs up to the roof of the cell. Taker follows him. Sean's laying on top of the cell, and his blood is dripping through the cell onto the camera underneath. It's a yeah. it's an awesome shot. Like it's done really well. Super um, rad. On the top, uh, Sean tries to do a pile driver uh, again, but Undertaker backdrops him on the roof. And you got to think this is like something no one's ever seen before. Right, and you, you know, can tell uh, you can tell when the match is going on because the crowd is just going absolutely fucking insane and like the you can feel the energy in that stadium to a certain point and just how like fucking jazzed everyone is that this is happening this is really the first time anyone's ever gotten on something tall really i mean they they've done ladder matches a little bit but they haven't ever they've never gone like crazy like you know they've never been people like you know doing crazy stunts off of them so this is like the first like stunt match really um so uh taker taker does a gorilla press on top of the cell um finally sean is like once again tries to escape so he starts trying to climb off the side of it but taker stops him and then this is the best part of the match oh yeah (laughs) so he's hanging off the side of the cell with one hand and he falls directly through the Spanish announce table, and I believe it's King that yells, My God, he may be broken in half! And it's... Oh, that That is definitely a Jim Ross call. That oh, I like apologize. his thing to say. He is broken in half. Because he does that later with Mick Foley when he gets thrown through. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... And I also like that they do it almost like some kind of action movie where The Undertaker, like, steps on his hands to make yeah, him let go. Yeah, it's super cool. Taker eventually goes down. Somehow, Shawn Michaels is back on his feet right away. Um, he's not the only one. Who, Taker's not the only one who can no-sell. Yeah, that's true. But there is just blood, like, smeared on everything. So so they go back in, and they, they actually lock the cell door again because they're like, we don't want this to happen ever again. <laughs> um, Taker puts Shawn on the top rope and choke slams him off into the mat. Um, he goes outside and grabs a steel chair and cracks him hard in the head, which another thing they don't allow anymore is chair shots to the head because 
that's how you get concussions. But I do think that that's sort of a staple of the Attitude Era is doing all the things that now cannot be done. Pushing the envelope so far that we have to start banning shit. Yeah. That's actually, I think there are, I've mentioned three different things they don't do anymore in this match. Uh, Yeah, he cracks him pretty damn hard with that. Taker signals uh, that he's going to go for his finisher, the Tombstone Piledriver. And that's when the lights go out, and we hear some organ music. And it's really funny that this has actually, very interestingly, this very big plot point has not been brought up through the whole show. I guess maybe they didn't want to bring it up too much because they didn't want to give it away. Um, Because they had been talking about it in the weeks prior. Um, So we hear that organ music go off, and then flames shoot out of the entranceway and we get our first glimpse at the big red machine walking along with Paul Bearer. Oh, okay, so this is the first time Kane's ever been introduced? Oh, yeah, yeah. I I I thought that that was uh No, I noticed that because like the they're like who is this guy? And I thought, "Oh, okay. I, I didn't know if they were sort of just being dramatic, but I didn't realize this is actually the very first introduction of Kane." Yeah, and, and that's why I was saying that this one, that this match is so important. More like not just because of the storytelling and the like, just how good of a match this is. It's like historic, and that's why I said it's like it's the first time we see one of the biggest storylines in wrestling history. Because <laughs> at this point, they had been teasing it in the in the weeks leading up. Paul Bearer had been aligned with Undertaker. Um, for years and he's now he turned on him and he is saying hey your brother isn't really dead so he told him that the fire at the funeral home of course where undertaker's (laughs) parents lived and worked was thought to have killed undertaker's parents and his younger brother but paul bearer reveals no Kane survived. He was very badly burned, but he survived. And also, it's it's very confusing. But it's later explained that Paul Bearer is Kane's dad. Um, it's all very confusing. Right. They kind of go back and so I think what? the lamest thing about Undertaker is the fact that Paul Bearer is all up in his shit always. Yeah, and he's always turning back and forth on him. Uh, Paul Bearer, but Paul Bearer is what makes it because. You know, originally Ta- Undertaker didn't talk, so that's why they had Paul Bearer to talk for. Okay, and Kane. Paul Bearer is, if I'm correct, his stepdad. Yeah, well, I guess not really. I because he like seek, he's Kane's dad. Kane, he had a, Paul Bearer had an affair with Kane's mom, and so he's not really anything to the Undertaker. Okay, um, I guess he's kind of like his stepdad. So we get Kane coming out here in all of his masked glory. Um, you hear Vince saying, that's got to be Kane, because this is the first time we've ever seen him. So Kane comes down to the ring, rips the cage door off of its hinges, gets into the ring, gets face-to-face with his brother for the very first time, and then hits him with a tombstone, walks out. Sean crawls over and covers his arm over Taker. The ref comes in, gets the one, two, three, and uh, and there we go. That's the end of the show. I gave it a perfect five out of five stars. Fantastic match. Of course, the Kane and Undertaker storyline will go on 
for the rest of this year into the next year and will continue to come up through the rest of their careers. Uh, they're both pretty much done with wrestling now. Kane is the governor of Knox County, or not the governor, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee now. Really? Oh, you didn't know I that? No oh, idea. Man, yeah, he just he just recently Kane won the the race for mayor of Knox County. Huh. Uh, yeah, and the Undertaker is is pretty much retired. He wrestles like once a year now. Well, I'm sure we will talk about Undertaker and Kane plenty more because they come out all throughout wrestling history. Um, there's plenty that we're gonna that we're gonna be talking about. Uh, this is just the the first step. Just scratching the surface. Just scratching the surface. We have plenty more coming up. Uh, this about does it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. Uh, we want to encourage you to watch along with us. Uh, so next week we'll be discussing SummerSlam 2002. We're kind of jumping forward a little bit. Um, I- I'm kind of going by a theme here of this one to me feels like the start of the Attitude Era, whereas SummerSlam 2002 is the start of what people call the Ruthless Aggression Era, the era following the Attitude Era. It's probably the one I grew up with the most and am and- and familiar with the most. It's another really great one uh, where... You still have a little bit of of that like edgy kind of content, but the wrestling also improves with it. A lot of people might even consider it to be better than the Attitude Era. We'll be watching on the WWE Network, but since Vince McMahon isn't signing our checks to, uh, to promote their app, feel free to find it anywhere you can. We won't snitch. Uh, you can also keep up with us twenty four seven on Twitter at Turnbuckle Train. Uh, we'll be posting our new content there. You can also find out what we're watching, uh, what we're following along with. Uh, I want to uh, also give a, a quick shout-out to Zach Denmark, who created our fantastic artwork for Turnbuckle Training. Looks really good. He thinks it's awful, but it's... Oh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, he is the third big dude. And if you like this podcast and you like hearing us talk about things, uh, we have another podcast called Feud Fight that is much dumber than this one. Um, and if you're interested, go and check that shit out because uh, we, we would appreciate it. And that's also where our uh, the other Zach lives. Uh, it, that uh, Feud Fight comes out every every Mondays. You can find that uh, just by going to iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure to give us a review and subscribe so you get it every day. Same thing with this podcast. Uh, find, you can find it anywhere. Uh, Apple, uh, iTunes, Google uh, Spotify, wherever you want to listen to it, uh, and also make sure you subscribe and give us a review. Tell us what you think. Uh, also, either on Twitter uh, or on, uh, you can leave it in a review on iTunes. Uh, reach out to us and let us know if there's anything you want to li- uh, want us to talk about, want us to discuss when it comes to wrestling. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a show, a pay per view. Uh, you can just say, hey, what about doing a episode about this wrestler or about this storyline or this rivalry? Uh, we'd be glad to look into it and do it for you. Uh, we got lots of content, good content coming out about all things wrestling. And we'll be back on the 18th, correct? Well, I don't know because I don't know how to do calendars. We'll be back on the 18th. Okay, I believe you. Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin! They spell disaster for you and sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch. Oh, my God.
I did it for the ride.